Coming at you from the UBS Evening News, it's the IGN Digigods. And now, please welcome two men who are mad as hell and aren't going to take it anymore, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Oh yeah, madder than mad as hell. Corey, who sent that one in for us? That was written by Kevin Lower, who clearly knows that I know the reference by heart and don't need to do three takes. Wouldn't that be funny if, uh, if instead of it were uh, UBS, it were like uh, the IBS, whatever that stands for? Corey, what's that? Brought to you by Irritable Bowel Syndrome. Who gives... Nope. There we go. That's what we uh, You know what, Wade? You, you really sold that. You there made you it go. seem as if that Corey was really here. In the room. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's amazing, he, right? he literally drove all the way across town just to say those two lines, and now yes, he can he go home. Yes, he did. So, anyway, um, what a sports weekend, right? My goodness I, I, gracious. Sports I don't care about. My goodness gracious, no, Nick. Don't care about soccer. The, the, don't care about basketball. Mike, but it, you, you got the NBA playoffs. Yeah. You got the Stanley, Stanley, Cup, Cup, Stanley yeah. Cup playoffs. You, you got the French, yeah. French Open. Women's World Cup starting. Uh, and then you had uh, Triple Crown winner, American uh, Pharaoh. You How can, about that? You could not name five sports I give a crap about less. Oh the only fun thing I find interesting is American Pharaoh, just because it hasn't been done in 38 years or something. Did you know that the German women played mm-hmm. the women from Ivory Coast uh-huh. and defeated them 10 nothing? All right. You were always complaining there aren't enough goals in soccer? Uh-huh. 10 nothing. Uh-huh. Do you know how painful that game was to watch? Uh-huh. It was excruciating. Yes, it, you know, our our, our like, listeners love this stuff. They love hearing you talk about Ivory Coast soccer. Poor girls from Ivory Coast. It was it was like watching Barcelona just completely dismantle a, a team of twelve year old AYSO. Keep players. going, keep going. All right, uh, you know what? I want to read a little uh, listener mail thing here uh, uh, before we uh, get going. Uh, you know, we had the, we'd had our this discussion about uh, Doctor Who and whether Doctor Who you know feature films of Doctor Who and so forth and so on. Everybody always comes up with interesting tidbits. Dave Stromanger. Uh, wrote us and said, sorry to bring up Doctor Who again, but there have actually been two theatrical movies, Doctor Who and the Daleks, uh, or Daleks, whatever you want, in 1965, and Daleks Invasion Earth uh, 2150 AD in 1966, 50 years ago. Both of them starred Peter Cushing as the Doctor, but they are their own entities. They are not part of the ongoing television continuity. Fascinating. I had no idea. Did you know that? First of all, thank you for that letter. And uh, second of all, uh, get a job. <laughs> I had no idea. Now, that's interesting. Peter Cushing played uh, Doctor Who in two standalone Doctor Who movies. That is cool. And, and, but obviously was not enough to launch a theatrical phenomenon around the world. It was not because uh, Doctor Who is weird. I don't get it. That was 11 years before he showed up in Star uh, in uh, the Star. Star what Trek? Was that? What was that thing? No, Star, Star Trek. Star, um, some star thing. Anyway, um, we got a book this week just to make mention of real a book. quickly, too. A book. The Attitude Era. It's a WWE thing. Uh, the, this is um, essentially the um, – th- this is from the, uh, the good people at uh, DK Press. Anyway, it's, uh, it's just basically a huge book on all your favorite wrestlers uh, from this particular era and obviously all, a lot of the, the women as well. You know, we got like, see here, a lot of full color stuff. You got uh, like like drawings, artwork of costumes. It's just basically, if you love wrestling, if you're a WWE fan and you just can't get enough, this you'll just this is your coffee table book. This is what you you set out when people come over and you expect them to uh, actually pay attention to it. Uh, but anyway, it's a nice big, uh, nice big spanking uh, wrestling coffee table book, the Attitude Era. Um, I can't exactly say that I opened this and just went nuts, but you know, I mean, The Rock is all over this thing, and he's like the man now. He's I getting, love him. He's great. He's, you, he's you, awesome. He really is. But you realize, just when we were all be like moaning and groaning about a remake of Escape from New York, uh, now suddenly much more possible is a remake of Big Trouble in Little China. I know. With thanks to The Rock, who wants to play the part, and I and I heard that, and I thought, you know, that sounds like it. It sounds like that's it would work, but I don't feel good about it. No, like, you know I don't why? want that movie remade. No, if it had to it's be a remade, cult film. But he's the guy. You know what I mean? Like I, I suddenly I see that movie in my head. I can see it. But I can why I'm like, oh my gosh, you remake it with but him. Why do you it. want that to be like another? But I don't. I don't. One hundred and seventy-five million dollars. I don't want it. Rock. That's what I'm like, saying. 
Forbidden I, Planet, whatever, whichever one he did, Treasure Island, whatever oh, it was called. Horrible. I forgot. Yeah, I, I, cares? I can see it, but I don't want it. It feels like it sort of makes sense, but I don't want it. Does that sound schizophrenic? Yes. Anyway. You're, you're out of your mind. So uh, we also have uh, a couple of giveaways. Giveaways? A couple of giveaways later on in the show. Going to make mention of those later. That's outrageous. Um, that is yes, outrageous. Yes, it is. It's, in, it's extraordinary, actually, is what it is. And listen, we need uh, listener mail and uh, Vox boxes. So by all means, go ahead and send those in to us at gods at digigods.com. Anything you want to ask us, just fire away. Uh, listener mail. And um, and Vox boxes, gods at digigods.com. No, none, to, none, none at all, none at all. Uh, and then um, got another little uh, listener mail tidbit here. Uh, not really a listener mail tidbit. It's uh, it's like a news tidbit. But I think this is uh, worth mentioning. Um, and I don't know that I don't know that I think I made, did I'm, I'm, I'm well anyway. Uh, Fox is going to be the first studio to create all their movies in high dynamic range ultra HD for home viewing. Did you Yawn. hear about this? Yawn. I think I mentioned this on the on Don't the get Facebook it. Page. Don't like it. Uh, this was reported in The Hollywood Reporter. High dynamic range Lame. is viewed by many Hollywood tech leaders as the key feature to create a noticeable picture advancement for viewers. I mean, seriously, honestly, how much... Uh, look... How much better is Casablanca going to get? Are you going to be able to like you know well, shine is, your shoes is, on Casablanca? Well, this is this is what, basically what we're doing here is 4K. So everybody's looking down the line. The 3D television thing didn't happen, so now everybody's like, oh, 4K TV. But it's like, do we really need 4K content? But no. Fox, who has not been exactly you know burning the, the 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 industry down with their amazing Blu-rays, they just haven't. You know, Fox is kind of like they do the bare minimum, but. They're like, nope, we're gonna we're gonna rock it. We're gonna rock everything in 4K. I, I, you know it's what? Interesting. Well, first of all, the rest of the industry is looking at that and thinking, if this does well, maybe we'll consider the possibility of getting on board. Fox. So right now, you've got one studio. Now, again, obviously, Fox owns yeah. the license to a lot of other movies that weren't originally Fox. Yeah. So it's not just Fox movies, um, but still. I think it's I don't know, man. I mean, look, nobody loves packaged media more than me. Nobody wants to see it continue forever and ever more yeah. than I do. Yeah. But that being said, it feels it feels a little grasping at straws. I've got to say, I I completely but, concur. No, you don't. I do. I I mean, I'm, I I think it's going to be interesting. I, I don't know what's going to come of it. I'm still not completely on the 4K bandwagon, but anyway, you know, Mark, let's talk about some new movies. Movies, new movies. What this are movies? New movies. I want to talk about a movie called Serena. Which uh, is a fascinating movie to talk about right out of the gate because this, this, I mean, look, come on, Mark, give it up. Yes, sir. We have got a movie here that's got Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. It's a must win. They've been in two pictures together. Automatic winner. Oscar winning pictures, both of them back to back from David O. Russell. Uh, they uh, they they were both nominated for Best Picture. This is directed by Susanna Beer, who uh, won an Academy Award. Uh, a Danish, amazing Danish director. She's you know she's also an Academy Award recipient. Can't lose, right? Automatic Serena, winner. Automatic, automatic winner. winner. Totally rocket. Yep. No? no, no, it didn't. No, wait, wait, wait. It's got no. Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence, and, yep. and nobody and, saw it. Nobody and directed cared? by Susanna Beer. How does that she, happen? Th- this is this is the saddest thing ever. Um, basically, this movie sat on the shelf for like a year and a half because no one wanted to release it. Now you have to ask yourself: Wait, if every studio in town saw a movie directed by Susanna Beer with Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence, Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence, you put those two names above the, why? How do you how do you conceivably not think you're going to make money out of that? And the reason is because it doesn't make any sense. It is. Uh, it, this is just a, a stillborn, misbegotten mess, top to bottom. I can see how somebody thought the concept would would be workable, but uh, it just. It, it, I can see how somebody thought that this would be some kind of old-fashioned, East of Edeny kind of gianty James Deany epic period romance monstrosity, um, and that's kind of what it is. Except it just doesn't. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, Essentially, here you've got Bradley Cooper and uh, Jennifer Lawrence are newlyweds who are trying to. This is like a 19th century story. They're trying to, you know, build a timber empire. So it's a little bit in the giant thing with the oil, and uh, then somehow it just uh, gets into this kind of like hidden past thing and re- revelations and complications, and it all just it just lumbers along in the most disjointed way possible. Part of me feels like all they needed to do was just get a great editor, do the Jaws thing, right? You know, Jaws was a mess until Verna Fields got hold of it, and 
and uh, you know, Terms of Endearment was a mess until you know they got that thing re-edited. It, it feels like there had to be a way of getting a really great editor to step onto this thing and say, you know what, with about like a week worth of reshoots, I could make this a pretty great movie. Unfortunately, because this is an independently financed film, uh, the infrastructure and the know-how to do something like that was apparently not there. So that said, it is really unfortunate, but if you're a fan of the actors and you want to see how they can actually not be amazing in a film that is otherwise loaded with production value and good intentions, uh, you might want to check it out. Magnolia finally grabbed this thing and uh, I just I just don't know. It's just really unfortunate. It's terribly unfortunate in every conceivable way. Wow. So did you like it? Wait, here's the thing. This yeah. movie called The Squeeze. This thing is terrible. It is misbegotten. It is, uh, it is a silly little thriller. Um, you want to know what this thriller is about? What's it about? Uh, it's about this gambler who uh, meets uh, somebody he wants to do business with. He sees his potential as a as as, as a guy who can uh, deal in, in uh, high stakes yeah. matches. Right? Yeah. Who is he? A golfer. That's pretty awesome. Wow! So this notorious oh, gambler, I get it, the squeeze because he sees you, a golfer and says, "You know what? I want you to gamble with me." You, it's about squeezing the golf club when you because you got to no. I don't know what that means. So. Uh, now, you, I'm just saying that this waste of time, you, you know it's bad when there are three blurbs on the back of the, the, back of yeah. the DVD box. Yeah. One blurb is, a wonderful golf movie because it's so authentic, Phil Mickelson. <laughs> the other one is, a fun movie, the golf elements are so real, oh, Jack Nicholas. Oh, that's great. These, the, these are the blurbs. These oh, are the positive that's blurbs. That's fantastic. And, best of all, if you like gambling, golf in Las Vegas, you'll love this movie, Steve Wynn. Chairman, Wynn Industries. Noted <laughs> film critic, Steve Wynn, from Steve Wynn Industries. Okay, oh, that's so awesome. the squeeze is terrible. Uh, awesome. Also terrible is this um, is this crazy little Judd Nelson, Tom Sizemore thing. Now, when it's got Tom Sizemore, you know it's basically over. Oh, pri- uh, called we, Private man, Number. We, didn't we have two of him, two two Tom Sizemore movies last week or the week before? Did we? Yeah, it seems like we, he's just he's just working his butt off. He must have boat payment. You could. <laughs> must have uh, this is a it's it's you know it's 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 about this uh, alcoholic writer and he's trying to finish his novel and he gets these phone calls and they're very mysterious. He tries to trace them, it leads to a bunch of dead ends. He's trying to figure out who is. Haunting him via phone calls, he starts to kind of lose his grip on reality. So it's a bit of a mystery. It's very uh, Hitchcockian, except for the fact that it was not directed by uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, it was directed by some guy named uh, Lazriel Lyson. I guess rhymes. Yeah, right. with, I guess rhymes with Bison. Yeah, sure. So um, I don't know. It's just you know what it, this thing just piles on plot twist after plot twist, and you don't feel anything for this writer. You have no even insight into the writing process necessarily. You know, it's uh, it's very generic, and uh, I would definitely pass on Private Number. However, even better is Tina Turner's Private Dancer. That I would definitely recommend. Oh, yeah. Pass on Private Number. Go ahead and pick up Private Dancer. Debug is one of these uh, genre films that uh, pops out of Canada every so often these days. There are a lot of these kind of mid-level sci-fi slash action slash thriller films that feel like just sort of barely second-tier stuff that an American studio would do. But they're all financed out of Canada. And they're not terrible for the most part. I mean, they're... They have good production value, and they, they uh, mostly go straight to video. Some get kind of a, a theatrical release. Anyway, this one's called Debug, directed by David Hewlett. Stylish director. has a few, should, should be doing some more interesting stuff. Uh, pretty decent cast. It includes uh, Jason Momoa, the man who uh, will be Aquaman, along with uh, Adam That's Butch. That's lame. I, I'm not buying him. You're not, you're not buying him as Aquaman? He's too, hang on, I have to sneeze away. Don't stop the recording. I won't. Go ahead, sneeze. Let it go. Let it, just let it loose. Let it loose, man. Lost uh, it. You lost it. Okay. You know. <coughs> there we go. Uh, he's too... He's too... <laughs> that's, that's great. You know, you know Wait, what? Did my sneeze just knock over a book or something? I don't know. It what knocked over that? something. I, I think it... Uh, anyway. Okay. The point being is that anyway. Jason... You know what? It's all... He's all part of like Warner Brothers' little like, you know, all our superhero films have to be badass thing. Yeah. Which I'm just... I think is ridiculous. Well, whatever. But anyway, Debug is basically kind of a cross between Alien and 2001-ish. I know that's really high praise and it's not that good but the idea is you got this uh, big space freighter and uh, there's a bunch of hackers on it and they wind up being at odds with a a rather evil uh, computer AI system and uh, they have to defeat it so it's kind of like if Hal were the alien 
if that makes any sense. Um, you know what? It's stylish. It's not bad. They make the best of a very limited budget, and uh, it's well acted. I uh, So I, th- I think David Hewlett, you did good. It's a good resume piece. Not a brilliant film, but uh, it's good enough. So let's see what you got next. And then we also have um, a thing called The Duff, which is on Blu-ray and DVD. It's a Blu-ray-DVD combo set, along with uh, Ultraviolet, for those who care. Um, you know, the best thing about this is Ken Jeong, who just somehow makes everything funny that has no business being funny. He's awesome. Isn't he the best? <laughs> he really is. <laughs> uh, no, this is, uh, this is one of those uh, kind of high school, coming-of-age comedies that uh, appear to never get old. Uh, anyway, it's about a girl played by Mae Whitman who, is, uh, who earns the nickname Duff. You know what Duff stands for, Mark? Uh, I believe that means uh, like the dumb, ugly friend or something. Designated ugly fat friend. Yeah. That was me. That was me uh, in school. I was the yeah. male version of that. So anyway, uh, this is one of those. It's a little bit like Mean Girls. And, uh, you know, she's, she's got to get, a, you know, get the, the high school high jock stud guy to sort of help her out with this uh, unfortunate label. Ken Jong is very funny. It's not great. It's okay. Uh, serviceable for its target audience. Um, the weird thing is this thing is being released this week on DVD, and this coming Friday it's being released in theaters. Interesting. Isn't that unusual and strange? <laughs> it's it's uh, strangely strange. I know that because I'm, I'm on Film Week on Friday, and it was on our rundown, and I had to raise my hand in class and say, excuse me, teacher... This is being released on... We're covering this on our podcast already. What? It's, do we have to add it to the ridiculously huge... Do we have to talk about this in addition to, you know, uh, the Jurassic World and everything else that's opening on Friday? Which I haven't seen yet. You haven't seen yet either, but we're both I'm supposed to... Uh, I, I, might, uh, I might bust my tail to get down to... Um, where is it? The Arclight or something? Yeah, something like that. And then also we have Focus. Now, Focus is that Will Smith film with uh, Margot Robbie, uh, which is significant because it, it has a romantic liaison connection between the two of them, and no one makes a big deal that it's, it's interracial, which is kind of a refreshing thing that, that you can have an interracial connection in a movie, and people don't go, why aren't you making a big deal of it? You know what? Because Will Smith is awesome and Margot Robbie is hot, and uh, I'm sorry, that's just that's how it is. Race is not even an issue in this movie. Thank goodness. However, um, you know what? I was with this movie for a little bit, and I was thinking, this is, this is starting to be an interesting take on the con thing. You know, he's like an expert con man, and he puts these teams together to pull off these elaborate cons, and she wants in on the, on the thing. She wants to be, you know, part of his team, and, but he, he, you know, they have a thing going, and then he just cuts them all loose because we got the money now, and we've got to let this whole thing dissolve before, you know, let, let the heat blow over. And then you flash forward a number of years, and all, it, it all kind of starts up again. And I started thinking, you know what, either this is trying to reinvent the con game movie or it's making all the same stupid mistakes that they always make. And sure enough, it went and it, and it went there. And it started doing all the same dumb stuff that I hate in these movies. Um, if you just assume out of the gate that everybody's lying, you always figure these movies out. And that's what I do. I just say, I just say to myself, first frame, everyone's lying. And sure enough, everyone was lying. And then it, there you go. Um, so unfortunately, it starts off well, but then it just it can't can't close the deal. It's too bad. Uh, but stylish, beautifully directed, very nicely acted. I just wish the script and the story were better. That's a uh, Blu-ray, DVD, and ultraviolet combo set for Focus with Will Smith. Wait, uh, you know uh, Joseph Rubin was the director who had his moment. Oh man, what True Believer with uh, James Woods, sure. and Robert Downey Jr., Dreamscape. He, he was there along with uh, uh, Curtis Hansen. They were kind of in the mix doing the the thing That's at the right. Same, right. He he did the Stepfather, and Curtis Hansen did to hand the rocks the cradle, and yes. they were like they were kind of dueling for uh, the, yes. yeah the next big thing. I was a fan of Dreamscape. I was a fan of True Believer. Yeah, not quite a fan of the Stepfather. Anyway, a couple of years ago, he did a film called Penthouse North. And uh, it was actually so bad that it wound up sitting on a shelf for two years, and it wound up on Lifetime, of all places. Um, It stars Michael Keaton. Now, this is before Michael Keaton was about to become the new second act in life, Michael Keaton, with, obviously, with um, uh, Birdman, and now he's shooting uh, The Founder, the story of Ray Kroc. Uh, he did this Penthouse North, which wound up uh, being so horrible that it was retitled Blindsided, and it went straight to uh, the television. No kidding. Straight to television. Uh, it's really silly. You know, uh, uh, Michelle Moynihan plays a uh, 
I like her. Blonde. But she just well, cannot. She cannot. No. She can't pull it off. She had that moment where she's going to become the new thing, the new it girl, but yeah. it didn't. It just. It, well, here it comes. Oh, it didn't quite happen. You know who else had that moment? Was uh, what's her name uh, from uh, the, the the Legends of the Fall, and then she went on to be the the new Sabrina. What was her name? Like not Carly Fiorina. Were you going to say Carly Fiorina? Carly Fiorina. No, Claire Forlani. Not well. She was another one. Yeah, Claire Forlani. And I really liked her. I know she's cute. She's just great. No, no. Legends of the Fall. Legend. No, she was a new Sabrina. She was stepping into the whole. Was she? I'm looking up Legends of the Fall now. Was she in Legends of the Fall? She was in Legends of the Fall. How old are we? Julie Armand? Yeah, Julie Armand. She was like the next big thing. She was like, oh my gosh, Julie Armand. Julie Armand, look at, oh, bleh. And she was gone. Well, here, ladies and gentlemen, um, Michelle Moynihan plays a blind photojournalist who was blinded in Iraq. And now she lives in this huge New York penthouse, of course, because, of course, all blind journalists have uh, can afford New York penthouses. Actually, she has a boyfriend, yeah. uh, rich boyfriend. Anyway, so this uh, this criminal, he's looking for a hidden fortune and diamonds, comes into the penthouse, and all sorts of crazy things happen. So I'd pass on blindsided. Totally silly. Also silly, I'm tired of the found footage uh, situation. Oh, I'm tired of the found no. footage movies. The only recent found footage movie that I can recommend in the last couple of years, I'm going to say it, is um, <clears throat> Europa Report. I really enjoyed it. Euro- did you see your Europa yeah, Report? Yeah, I did. Liked that one. That nah, was good. It I'm, was found footagey. It was, yeah, By the way, um, speaking of found footagey, did you see they just released a couple days ago three an, another wreck film from Mexico? No, uh, three Re- minutes. Wreck twelve, the reckoning. No, okay. three minutes of uh, the Martian, which is the uh, Matt Damon film. Matt Damon, Jessica Chastain, based on the book. Yeah. No, they released. Now it's not a trailer though. Not a trailer because okay. it is it is part it is Matt Damon's character in the movie. But they they it, he him and Jessica Chastain, Kate Mara, Kristen Wiig. Believe it or not, they they're on this mission going to Mars. Okay, and then Matt Damon gets stranded. Okay, That's, it, it's based on a book. So anyway, so instead of giving us a trailer, they gave us three minutes of of Matt Damon's character. Introducing us to the crew of the ship that's going to Mars. Have you watched the first? Se- did you see Aloha? By the way, uh, no, because it was terrible. Did you see the, they, they released like the first eight minutes online to say no? You, this is, you forget the critics. This is good. And you watch the first eight minutes, and I thought, oh my gosh, it's terrible. <laughs> it's really not good. It's like, really not good. I like how they try to justify Emma Stone's casting. No, no, she's one fifty-second <laughs> Asian, like a fourth. What is she? She's like one fourth Hawaiian, one fourth uh, Swedish, and like one fourth what Mexican? I don't know. She's it's like some weird oh Chinese. She's like part Hawaiian, stop part it. Chinese, Just and part. Stop so- it. <laughs> Just stop it. I was. I it reminds me of Jennifer Jones playing. Playing Asian in uh, Love is a Many Splendored Thing is like... Uh, Mickey Rooney. Oh, my Rooney God. it up. Anyway, uh, Project Mr. Almanac is crappy. Okay, Mystical, moving on. Mystical Ridery. Project I Ar- protest. It's the worst. Oh, my God. Now, Jurassic uh, World opens on uh, Friday. Um, I, again, uh, we, yeah. as we say, we I, I might bust my butt to go see that um, uh, tomorrow. But uh, in the meantime, we have Back to the Jurassic... Oh yeah, this is which is a uh, it's with animated it, film with a cute-ish. bunch of purple dinosaurs and Melanie Griffith is in it. Jane Lynch, yeah, William a, Baldwin, Stephen Baldwin, Rob it, Schneider. Cutish. Yes, it's for kids. Yeah, it's cutish. It's, it's all CGI stuff. Yeah, it's cutish from the it's, good it's folks right. at Alchemy. Yeah, it's fine. By the way, it's family approved by the Dove organization. Yeah, they slapped like ninety of their logos on this thing. I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> I guess the, the more you put on it, the more family friendly it is. Uh, speaking of, had you seen the, uh, the the teaser thing for the new uh, Disney Pixar uh, thing? The Schnooky dinosaur, what's it called? The oh, the good dinosaur. Yeah, that thing was a misbegotten project too. It actually looks good. I mean, what they show, it's not much, but it, it's got a nice vibe to it. You know, uh, what well, if the, like what if the meteorite had missed the Earth and not made the dinosaurs extinct? Interesting, interesting concept. Well, you know that's got a whole. There was a whole thing about yeah. uh, what happened that movie. And the director got fired and blah blah blah. So foreclosure with Michael Imperioli um, is a film of our times. You know, it's funny. Um, uh, Vincent Linden, the French actor. Uh, is in a movie that Tim and I just recently did the commentary for, and we we said we we didn't mean to make fun of him or anything, but he's just he's kind of a he's sort of a schlubby guy in the movie, and we we spent a substantial part of the commentary saying you know, but he is a really good actor. I mean, even though you know he's it's very easy to sort of dismiss the character, dismiss him, but he's a really good actor. I kid you not. Not 24 hours after we did that, nah, more than 24 hours, about a week later, uh, it was like like seven days later. He wins Best Actor at Cannes. Because you he guys, best actor can. 
We should have done the commentary a week later, and we could have said, but he just won Best Actor at Cannes. You guys are anyway, prescient. He, well, he won it for a film basically playing a guy struggling with unemployment who just cannot get a job to save his life. And uh, film of our times. And that brings us to Foreclosure with Michael Imperioli, who's been making a career out of doing all kinds of hard liquor ads, being the cool guy who drinks the cool stuff. Anyway, um, the, you know, Foreclosures is not something that I think people necessarily want to see in a movie. Uh, but uh, in terms of a movie that deals with it in a dramatic way and um, dealing with, you know, having it like people in your family dying and then, you know, uh, banks taking over and, and doing all the things that, that happen with foreclosed properties, all of the legal uh, ins and outs and the quagmire that that involves, this is actually really well researched. And uh, it doesn't let all of that overwhelm the drama. It lets it sort of generate the drama. And it's really... It's a it's it's really well acted, um, and then it winds up kind of going into a bit of a genre y place that it really shouldn't necessarily go. Um, so it's a mixed bag, I think. Well meant, pretty well done. Uh, but Michael Imperioli, I like. I think is a really just solid actor. He's just so credible. So I I you know I, I'll hang my hat on him in just about anything. He's not going anywhere, really. Michael Imperioli is he going to become like a? No, but he's a, but he's a he's a really solid actor. You know, you just put him into any. I have movie. something solid. Oh, thank you. He's just he's really solid. You just put him into anything, and somehow he grounds it. He just makes it feel more authentic and earthy and New Yorky. Um, see you in Valhalla. I you know uh, these movies are really kind of a dime a dozen. These things. Um, the one reason that I had kind of a problem with this is because the word Valhalla. I used to associate it with um, Norse mythology, right? Thor and the whole thing. Right. And killing Va- now all I can think of is uh, Mad Max Fury Road because that's where they all want to go. They all want to go to Valhalla because Immortan Joe promises them if they die in battle, they'll go to Valhalla and he'll meet them there. All, that's all I can think of now. So I see the sea in Valhalla and I start thinking of Mad Max Fury Road. And then, Which, by uh, the way, needs to be doing better. Let's all go see it. It's doing huge overseas. Well, it better. Massive. Case. Really? Oh, my gosh. It's just killing it overseas. Um, Not killing it so much here. And I don't really understand that. Do you have a theory about that? Uh, well, I have a feeling that they waited too long between sequels because I think to kids who were like – first of all, it's a hard R. True. Right? It's a really hard R. And also, I have to say that if you're 20 years old, Mad Max is kind of your, your parents' thing. And nobody wants to spend their Saturday night yeah, so fifteen Star bucks. So Star their, Wars. No, but it's but it's the but you know but Star Wars to kids is like the the prequels to them is Star Wars. I hate to say that, but it really is true. The prequels they love Jar Jar Binks because they were like they they were like twelve when those prequel movies came out, and they loved them because Jar Jar is funny and they're space people. And then now it's you know fifteen years later, and now they're twenty seven, and that's what they know of Star Wars. Yeah, well, we're doomed. Well, anyway. Uh, it's about a woman who, uh, see you in Valhalla, it's about a woman uh, who returns home after four years and uh, her brother's passed away and she's got to reconnect with her family and friends and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's all kinds of awkwardness and backstories and revelations and the usual. Um, these movies are either a dime a dozen, they come out all the time. And the question is, is there an audience for this? I don't know. Um, it's a, it's an it's a very very like sketchy cast. Uh, these are people whose names you don't know: Sarah Hyland, Steve Howey, uh, Brett Harrison. Sarah Hyland says she's the girl from uh, Modern Family. Yeah, but what I'm saying is even I know that. Walk, but yeah, look, but walk up to anybody on the street and go, Sarah Hyland. Do you think they know? Yes, they don't. Yes, she's, they not, do. she's not. She's not a household name. She's, she's the biggest she's, name in the world. She's not a household. There's, name. there's no one bigger than her. Conor O'Farrell. She's the biggest uh, star in Hollywood. Michael Weston, Emma Bell. Who, you know, these are not, these are not household names. How dare you. Is what I'm saying. It's not like, oh my gosh, Sarah Hyland, name above the title. No. Uh, she's the best. So, uh, and she's the biggest name in this thing. So it's, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, if you like these kinds of movies, it's, it's, it's perfectly fine. It's I mean, perfectly there's nothing, serviceable. Nothing, yeah, there's nothing terribly wrong with it. It just it is what it is. Uh, let's see. Let's, let me grab this thing here. This thing that came with this bag. Mark, I want you to have... Well, it's not a bag. It's, it's a SpongeBob... No, it's a poster. Not a bag. Whatever it's a poster. it is. Whatever it is. It's a, it's, I, I don't really know what it is. Uh, it, it's not really a poster. It's, you're supposed to do something with it. You're supposed to fold it or something with it. I don't yeah, you know. You know what? Actually, it's a poster. I, you know, actually, you know, you, you know what I bet it is? I bet it's a, uh, it's a book cover. Like, like a classic high school... 
Like, oh, yeah. Okay, it's been a long time since you've been in high school, and me too. Yeah. But they were about this big, and you would take the book, and you'd, you'd know how to fold it, and oh, you'd write stuff. You know, come great. on, it's a, it's a book cover. Okay, so they sent us a book cover along with the SpongeBob movie, Sponge Out of Water 3D. Uh, you know what? I am not a SpongeBob fan. Um, but I will say, and a certain acquaintance of ours actually was involved in this film, so I, uh, you know, I'm, I'll tell you later. Um, but the, uh, you know what? It's actually really well done. Uh, so I can't say that I enjoy anything to do with SpongeBob. I just, I just don't connect to the whole concept or the world. But, and I haven't watched enough of the television show really to sort of, uh, you know, understand anything that happens in it. It just sort of grates on me all the time. But that being said, I'm sure if you love the whole SpongeBob thing, this is, this is, I mean, they really amped it up. They sort of elevated it. They raised their game. And they did the animation right, and they did the songs right, and they made it a feature. And son of a gun, they, they actually, there's, there's, there's feature material in this thing. It doesn't feel like an over-elongated, uh, played-out episode of a, of a you know, kids' TV show. It actually feels like they found something richer and deeper to it. So that's out there on a uh, Blu-ray 3D, Blu-ray, DVD, and digital HD combo set. The digital HD, of course, is, again, ultraviolet. So this thing is just fully loaded. Uh, it may be one of the last 3D things that comes out. By the way, you know, I thought it was really interesting. When I went to the screening on the Disney lot the other day of Inside Out... Uh-huh. Uh, which is amazing, by the way. But um, the uh, they did not show it to us in 3D. Good. And the last time I was in that uh, in that theater, uh, it was for John Carter in 3D. Ooh. But and I'm sure that the El Capitan all media screening on Saturday will be uh, 3D. However, I was rather stunned that they had a 2D screening of it on the lot. Good. I was surprised. I and I'm pleasantly so. Hopefully, I was surprised. Anyway, so, uh, anyway, so anyway, this is uh, you know, there's, there's fun stuff in here. There's the you know the bonus features and the whole thing, and uh, the whole idea is that SpongeBob has to save the world. Blah 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 blah. Uh, you know, Burger Beard, played by Antonio Banderas, is is a, a pretty funny villain. So um, it, yeah, you know, good for the kids. Anyway, Always Woodstock is a is an innocuous, meaningless little uh, romantic comedy. It stars uh, Allison Miller. She's this uh, girl who's living in the big city. Uh, she works in the music industry, but when, of course, she uh, gets fired from her job and her fiancé is cheating on her, she goes back to her tiny little town of Woodstock and finds her true self. She finds her true self. Very bland, uh, really generic. And just uh, really not worth it. Always Woodstock. I got to say, it's, uh, I mean, the cast is okay. It's got uh, Katie Seagal in it and Jason Ritter, Brittany Snow. Rumor Willis is in it, the uh, champion of Dancing with the Stars. Can't oh, that. yeah, there you go. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty crappy stuff. There's plenty of other uh, music-based, like, uh, can a song save your life? Well, go you go, go watch that again instead of watching Always Woodstock. Uh, Matt LeBlanc uh, did a movie, which means that uh, we don't care because uh, I don't know what this guy does. Uh, yeah. Love Sick. Is his uh, latest uh, straight to uh, DVD nothing? <laughs> it's uh, got Ali Larder he's, in it. He's, he's working though. You got Chevy Chase. He doesn't have to work. I know. Why doesn't he, he do good stuff? If you don't have to work, I mean, it's, seriously, yeah. he doesn't have to work. He could live to be five hundred, and he would not have to work a day in his True. life. So why do this? True. I why am. do the story of an elementary school principal and his a wonderful life? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. I just don't get it. Anyway, so uh, he plays this guy, Charlie, and he's this kind of lonely heart kind of a guy. And then every time he falls in love with somebody, his, he goes clinically insane. His like, brain changes. So he meets this uh, dancer named, uh, played by Ali Larder who's uh, you know really perfect for him. And then uh, it's kind of a – it's this really silly little – you know what? It's, it's actually one of those comedies that, that trades like mental illness and makes it funny. Yeah, it's a little bit like Silver Linings Playbook. We're like, I mean, obviously this is not Silver Linings yeah. Playbook, but the, it's the same point, which is that you take mental illness and put it in a romantic comedy. So somehow, <laughs> mental illness is hilarious. It is sometimes. <laughs> not to me, because I'm mentally ill myself. Of course, uh, the Poltergeist of Borley Forest. See, that's horrible. That's <laughs> you know what? Just horrible. Here's what's interesting about this. I mean, it the, is the word Poltergeist is gigantic on the cover, <laughs> and then the rest of it of Borley Forest. It's, it's, it's really t- small. It's super small. Um, well, I, I think they were probably banking that the Poltergeist, they could kind of piggyback on the remake of Poltergeist, which has tanked so hard. Uh, and there's a film definitely where I think the Mad Max concept that you just brought up, that holds, where that's your parents' film. The original Poltergeist is a treasured film for our generation. 
But I don't know anybody who has any fondness for that film who is, you know, who's born like post-1990. They didn't even know it. It's, it, 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 it wasn't it, a classic. No. It was just, frankly, I, I, I bet if we watched that movie today, we would think it's like cute. We, we would think it's quaint. It In was, the day of Saw, it's quaint. It was, it was the same year as E.T., Oh. That was what made it, you know, a thing. It was it was the other Spielbergy film, right? It was the one that we knew that he directed, even though Toby Hooper took credit for it. Uh, anyway, the Poltergeist of Borley Forest, which is not going to be able to piggyback on it. Here's what's interesting: this is a, a, otherwise a completely regular, straight-to-video uh, horror film. Uh, nothing terribly remarkable about it, except in the concept. It's trying to blend the ghost genre with the slasher genre. So Lame. you got a bunch of kids who, you know, they go into they they go out into the woods, and you're like, oh great, Freddy or Michael Myers or you know uh, Leatherface or somebody's going to come and start picking them off one by one. But it's not a slasher; it's a ghosty thing. And so there's that whole, you know, what have you disturbed in the in the uh, you know the uh, ecto ether that. Will, the ecto ether, the ecto ether that somehow will haunt everybody. So it's it's a it's like a haunted slasher film or a slashery ghost film. And uh, for that, I'll, I'll give him I'll give him a little bit of props. It's an interesting idea, interesting twist. The mm. film still, you know, it's it's strictly genre, strictly for people who like that. Stuff. I have no respect for it because of the name, the Poltergeist of, uh, of the Barley Forest. Poltergeist of Barley Forest. Uh, Kevin Coster just keeps on trucking. McFarland USA is a, uh, a straight-up live-action Disney film. We get about one or two of these a year, and they're trying to be you know, inspirational, usually sports dramas or human interest dramas. And this is actually a true story, um, but it's kind of the you know, same stand-and-deliver. Um, what are all the rest of those movies? Just every, every underdog sports movie ever made. Uh, every underdog movie ever made, every movie that, you know, I mean, even Stand Deliver, it's still basically a sports film. It's just intellectual sports. Yes. Uh, Disney, look, I, actually, these, the, it's funny how these Disney sports films, these live-action Disney yeah. sp- they feel very machine-tooled and formulaic, but, but they're actually not that bad. It, they're not terrible. I mean, the, the problem is so many of these, and we, they're always about the white coach who helps the, you know, and, and the team is like cool runnings too. It's just like, you know, people who should, these are like Latino kids who are long distance runners and Kevin Costner is the white coach who's going to help them realize their dreams. And there is, there is a slightly patronizing feel to some of these movies that just recycles the more of them that we get. But you know what? Honestly, everything else about this movie is perfectly wonderful and the characters are endearing and it's, it's just, it's formulaic, but it's heartfelt. And uh, you, you sort of can't fault it for being that because that's what the audience wants. Uh, so this is a Blu-ray and digital HD set. The HD is, of course, Disney Movies Anywhere, which is their version of Ultraviolet, which I have to say I've looked at better than Ultraviolet. What? The Disney Movies Everywhere is the way these things should be doing. Disney Movies Anywhere, I should say. Disney Movies Anywhere. What? It's, it's, the, it's the implementation that the others should follow. I don't think, the, I don't think anybody's going to throw Ultraviolet under the bus to adopt the, the Disney system because they don't want to pay Disney royalties. But at some point, everybody really needs to kind of put their heads together and just say, could we standardize this whole you know, cloud anywhere format thing. And I, and I, and I, hopefully this will wind up being the Blu-ray and ultraviolet will be folded in, in some, some seamless way and won't become extinct. Like, uh, like, uh, HD DVD. What? Anyway, bonus features. Uh, Kevin Costner, along with the real character, Coach Jim White, and some of the real members of the team, are uh, they, they all show up and, and kind of share their reminiscences. Uh, there's a music video and a, um, uh, a featurette, and obviously some deleted and you know, superfluous stuff. Um, then you have an interesting film here called Know How. Uh, this is such a fascinating movie, and I don't think it's totally successful. It's almost more of a, an experiment than anything else. The, the, a bunch of foster kids who had done a kind of quasi-musical production. They'd written their own experiences into kind of like a stage performance art production thing. This is the movie of that. So it's a musical. It's literally these kids who are actually foster kids acting in a movie that they themselves co-wrote featuring songs and raps that they themselves also wrote about their experience. 
It's raw. It's experimental. It's not as entertaining as you might hope because some of these kids are not good actors. They do a very bad job of playing themselves. Um, but some of them are an absolute revelation. And I would, I would wager money that at least two or three of these kids, including the guy who plays like the big drug dealer in this thing, will go on to huge careers. Will go on to have like serious regular acting careers. Um, so, I mean, it's, uh, you can't help but sort of just pull for this movie. It's, uh, it's called Know How. And this is from First Run Features, and I I find it praiseworthy, enormously praiseworthy, even if it's not great. It's just really a, a fascinating experiment, and I I think it uh, I think it's people should check it out. Uh, Wade, so there you go. Um, should, should we do some news? By the way, is there any news? Uh, yeah, going hit on? the hits with some news, and then I'll do the giveaway. Uh, let me see what's going on. Uh, X Machina, Wade. Did you see that? Oh, I have not watched it yet. Dying well, to see it. You can see it on July fourteenth on Blu-ray. It's coming out. Cool. We know Alex, Alex Garland. Uh, we love him. Great writer. He's now kind of, a terrific director. He's a man. He is kind of the man. Uh, let me see. What else we got going on? By the way, I have to say, oh, Twilight Time announced their September, October uh, films, Wade. Here's mm-hmm. what we got. Here's Twilight Time announced their September, oh, October yeah, slate. Oh, yeah, let's hear them. At Close Range. Okay. Fat City. Cool. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, John Carpenter's Vampires. Not my favorite John Carpenter movie, but John Carpenter's Vampires. Black Widow, the 87 one with, what's her name, Teresa Russell? No. Ooh. Right, that one? Yeah. Devil in a Blue Dress with Denzel, my favorite of all time. And uh, that's kind of it, actually. That's good. Yeah, that's Devil in a Blue Dress is, is, is a great film because that's the film that, that introduced Don Cheadle to the world. Uh, yeah. It, he, remember, he was mouse in that thing with the, with the teeth and the whole thing, with the, and the little twang. He was, he was great in that. And people are like, who is that guy? He's great. By the way, can I say that... Um, have you seen the trailer for uh, The Walk? The Walk. Oh, my gosh. The, the Zemeckis the Ro- film? The Walk. The no. Robert Zemeckis film about uh, the guy who, who uh, tightrope walked across the Twin Towers. Oh, no, I haven't seen the trailer. How is really it? Really good. Does it look we good? Go, yes. Yeah? Although Joseph Gordon-Levitt has a French accent for some reason. I mean, he, the guy was French, but... Oh, that's right, but yeah. But, but he, yeah. He, he plays him. But that, that's a little weird. Fascinating. But you can tell that Zemeckis is kind of like... He's, the Man on Wire story. Correct. Yeah, which is a great doc. Oh, it's a great doc. But yeah. you can tell that like he's Zemeckis, he's working some stuff out. He's trying some new tricks. He's trying to be fresh and new and uh, well, fantastic. Well, good, good. Yes. About time. Throw yes. that all that, that, that mocap crap away. Exactly. Get rid of that. Um, and uh, here's the giveaway. So we got a couple of films. We got three copies of each. Three copies of each. So... Um, by the uh, by, time date stamped. Uh, send us your emails. They ha- we have to receive them by you know the, the email has to be stamped somewhere. Time date stamped by uh, June twelfth, Friday, June twelfth. So get that to us as soon as you can after you uh, hear the show. And we're giving away three copies of the Barber with Scott Glenn and the Squeeze, uh, which Mark talked about earlier. So, uh, <laughs> hey, you know. Hey, I wish I said bad things about it earlier, but you know, you know what? Look, look, what can look, I say? look, it's it's a free movie. You know what I'm saying? It is a free movie. It's a free movie. So uh, we got the squeeze and we got the barber and uh, Scott Glenn in the barber. We talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, Scott Glenn always uh, always good for a few yucks, right, Mark? The the barber is a Blu-ray and the squeeze is a DVD. You can only choose one. So go ahead and send us emails to gods at digigods.com and put in the subject either Barber, B-A-R-B-E-R, or Squeeze, S-Q-U-E-E-Z-E. And uh, we will randomly select three very lucky people to receive the Barber on Blu-ray or and the Squeeze on DVD. So uh, Squeeze and Barber in the subject line and send us those by the 12th and uh, we will, uh, over the weekend, we will select some winners and send your DVDs on over to you. Um, Mark, let's do music. Let's do music. Now, Wade, uh, very interesting experiment here in Lost Songs, the basement tapes continued. Uh, during Bob Dylan's uh, mid-60s basement tapes uh, era, he wrote a bunch of lyrics that he never put to music. And now, years later, he has given the blessing to people like Elvis Costello and Taylor Goldsmith and Marcus Mumford to take these uh, Dylan lyrics that were never set to music and set them to music. And it's totally interesting. You know, you look at these great Bob Dylan lyrics, what would, what, you, know, you, you compare the song that, let's say, Elvis Costello did versus what you think Bob Dylan might have done had he set these lyrics to music. And it's a great experiment, really cool stuff. I have to say, I was very taken with it. T-Bone Burnett, of course, who's always involved in this kind of stuff, uh, shows up as the producer and a musician in it. And so, um, yeah, 
really good stuff. I would recommend if you're a uh, if if you're like a deep dish music lover, I would recommend Lost Songs. The Basement Tapes uh, continued. I would not recommend the Backstreet Boys. Show them what you're made of, uh, which it turns out is nothing. You know, the Backstreet Boys are big, but you know, 2013 they came back. They had a world tour. I I could have been a Backstreet Boy. Did you know that? Uh, you're a Backstreet Goy. I could. Oh, it's a different thing. Yes. Oh, never mind. Yes. Anyway, uh, you got a bunch of stuff with. Uh, you got a bunch of uh, vintage stuff, vintage footage. You got a bunch of stuff them palling around and uh, getting back together, and a bunch of stuff on stage. A little bit about the story of how they became superstars. You know, they were obviously little kids when they first, not kids, but they were young when they started. Now, of course, they're much older. A lot of them married with children. Uh, how that that's working out for them. But you know what? You've got to be a Backstreet, Backstreet Boy fan to even care, and I doubt you are. Now, Wade, the reason why I really recommend Slash Live at the Roxy, September 25th, 2014, is not because I love Slash. And it's not because I love the Roxy, which is a legendary music venue here in L.A., but because, ladies and gentlemen, yesterday, I played the Roxy. I don't believe it. I did. I, I, had, the, I had the video it. to prove it. You have video to prove it? I do. Okay. Yes, I tried to show you the video, but you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't listen. Yeah, because I don't believe it. That's why. <laughs> you know, you think I doctored the video? My, yeah. my band play. I have a band, which, of course, I've not quit. Yeah. But I have a band you played the that played a it – was, it, was, it was like an amateur band afternoon. It wasn't, well, it wasn't Friday night. It wasn't Saturday night at the Roxy. Yeah. It was Saturday afternoon at the Roxy. Uh-huh. But our amateur band played at an amateur band uh, event at the Roxy. It was very so- exciting. My my very dear friend. Uh, you don't care about my story. Not really. No. My very dear friend Natalie Natalie Chides, who uh, who I've known since film school, who most recently was showrunner on Twelve Monkeys. Uh, her daughter, Chloe, uh, is lead singer of a band called Kitten, playing a sold out show at the Troubadour. I love the Troubadour. That's a great place to see and a show. I remember this freaking little girl when she was like rocking her band when she was like nine. Sitting there in their garage during you know grown up parties and just killing it, and you just think, how can you do that? How you know? Anyway, anyway, well, Slash played Amazing. the Roxy. So by the way, uh, Slash and I have something in common. We've both played the Roxy. Now he's played the Roxy. Yeah. I happen to play at the Roxy. Yeah. Totally <laughs> different situation. But I did play the Roxy yesterday. It was very exciting, cool. except when I screwed up. Anyway, um, so the Sla- uh, Slash has an album out called World on Fire. It came out last year. I, you know, it's not my favorite uh, Slash album, um, but there's a lot of – he's got such great chops that it's at least worth it for the solos. So if you love Slash or maybe you like the World on Fire album, check this out on Blu-ray. It looks good. sounds great. And uh, there you go. Slash, Live of the Roxy, September 25th, 2014. Rock and roll. It is rock and roll. Literally. literally. All right, now that, now that you've been all rock, I'm going to bring some culture back to the room. Opera. Uh, but stuff from uh, Naxos. No, a lot of interesting stuff from Naxos. Uh, the classical stuff, it's, it's a big pile of stuff. Let me go through this really quickly. If you're a fan of operettas, you will enjoy this import DVD of uh, Der Tsarevich, the uh, Tsarevich, otherwise known as, the, uh, by Franz Lehar. Who, uh, just oh, a, I love Franz Lehar. Sure you do. You love Franz Lehar. And you would know the music if you heard it. Anyway, this is, uh, this is an import. Uh, but it is a, it's a nice, it's a lovely performance of uh, the Zarevich, uh, which I was unfamiliar from five years ago, from 2010, which I was unfamiliar with. It's not an operetta that I know, um, not particularly endearing story-wise, but the music's great. Now, is an operetta a small opera? Operetta, like Babes in Toyland, operetta. Uh, the, uh, the, the Fleetermouse is an operetta. <laughs> Flow is a mouse. Okay. You know, like Babes in Toyland. You've seen Babes in Toyland, sure, right? Sure, yeah. why not? Sure. I mean, they're basically like, uh, they're halfway between uh, a Broadway musical and an opera, if that makes any sense. No. They're sort of like the, they're sort of like the prelude to the modern Broadway musical is what they are, and before I mean, there was a Broadway. Makes no sense. Anyway. Yeah, you would know. Um, interesting, interesting Blu-ray here. Uh, uh, the Debussy, the Prelude's first book, or in French, Les Préludes, premier livre. Uh, this is a music film with Darren, uh, Daniel Barenboim. That's how they describe this: a music film with Daniel Barenboim. And it's very hard to describe, actually. But the idea behind it is that Debussy wanted his Preludes to not be sort of public performances, but private performances. That's something that you should listen to at home and the privacy of your own home. So this is a really kind of a quasi-experimental film that attempts to create a, a more personal experience for listening to those. And you, of course, get Baron Boim, who um, 
it, it's almost like an audiovisual performance art thing, but uh, you also get Baron Boyman concert, which kind of defeats the whole concept. But it still, it's you know, it's an interesting thing. And if you love Debussy and if you love Baron Boyman, it'll totally make sense to you. Uh, Prometheus, uh, a film by Christopher Swan with performance by the Berlin Philharmonic, uh, conducted by Abado Argerich. Uh, completely unfamiliar with uh, Argerich, but anyway, I'm assuming that the pianist here, Martha Argerich, is in some way a relative or a spouse. Um, this is a this is an interesting look at the Prometheus myth through four different works by four different composers, Beethoven, Liszt, uh, Scriabin, and Luigi Nona. And uh, obviously, I know the first two don't really know the second two very well, but the whole concept of Prometheus, which is very Frankenstein-y, um, is, uh, I, I kind of get what they're going for. So it's a little bit esoteric, but uh, certainly, for the most part, decent music. Uh, Stravinsky's The Firebird, in, uh, as choreographed by James Kudelka, in a film of the Firebird on Blu-ray by uh, Barbara Willis Sweet, this is um, uh, interesting. Um, I, you know, it's a little more interpretive ballet than I'm accustomed to. This was performed uh, along with the uh, Kirov Orchestra, um, but still, the Firebird Suite is fantastic music. The staging, the the, the dancing, a little bit too much for me, but uh, it's all right. Herbert von Karajan, one, probably my favorite conductor of all time. Uh, He's does... mine. He's, man, that guy's God. That guy's great. He's the way he conducts shut up. things. Stop and it. Stop does it. the thing with the Stop baton it. and Stop it. Shakes his Stop non-baton it. hand. And... Stop it. He's the man. He's got a beard. Uh, this is performances of Beethoven's Fifth and Ninth Symphonies. If you have the Karajan cycle of Beethoven's symphonies, you understand it is the definitive. It, it's amazing. He did two of them. The uh, original one, the older one, is the better one. Uh, and that's where they get the uh, performances here from the Fifth and the Ninth. They are uh, older performances of his, and they are superb, absolutely amazing. It's from 1977 and 1966. And... Um, uh, it's just great. I mean, that's what more can I tell you? You also get a bonus here, The Art of Conducting, which is a rehearsal of the fifth with Herbert von Karajan. Uh, Dinara Alieva in Moscow the Ru- with the Russian National Orchestra. Um, beautiful singing. Um, fantastic music. She does a whole lot of different, uh, different stuff, everything from Offenbach to Bernstein and West Side Story uh, and even some stuff from My Fair Lady. She's a lovely voice. Dinara Alieva. Hadn't heard of her before, but I, I like her. I don't know if you know this, Mark, but they did Brokeback Mountain as an opera. Did you know that? Broke, did you know that? I'm this, gay <laughs> and a cowboy. In this beautiful red Blu-ray keep case, you find the opera of Brokeback Mountain performed for the uh, Teatro Real in Madrid. And I got to tell you, it's weird, man. It's totally weird. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Uh, I like the movie, but I don't, it doesn't lend itself to opera. It's completely unhinged. It's very strange. Uh, Le Corsair with the English National Ballet. Beautiful, beautiful performance. That's on Blu-ray. Can't complain about that. That's more traditional ballet, more my speed. Uh, the Two Gentlemen of Verona uh, by Shakespeare uh, is pretty great. Uh, this is uh, you know, not, not one that I'm all that terribly familiar with. But uh, this, is, this is good. This is rock solid. So um, nice discovery here. This was performed uh, at the, uh, Royal, uh, by the Royal Shakespeare Company in uh, 2014. And uh, it's great. You know, maybe they should do a movie of it. Richard Strauss at the End of the Rainbow uh, is a wonderful documentary. If you are not familiar with the man who wrote the theme to 2001... Uh, he wrote a lot more music, and uh, this is a great documentary, just fantastic. It just goes into every nuance of his extraordinary life, and uh, one of the most kind of... Everyone knows his music, but nobody knows the man. Pretty great. Uh, Gustav Mahler's Symphonies 7 and 8 as a director... Are we still talking about these, by the way? Yeah, I got Do we have, more. like, real movies to talk about? We just talked about a ton of real movies. Ugh. First 40 minutes of the show were real movies. We'll get, in, we'll get into a few other things here. We'll, we'll, we'll do more. We got uh, we, we got we got tons of stuff. We got a gigantic pile of TV that we'll never get through. Probably have to do it next week. Gustav Mahler Seven and Eight, uh, conducted by Pavel Yarvi and the Frankfurt Radio Symphony Orchestra. That's from C Major. That is great. Those are just great symphonies and great conductor. Uh, read the Richard Strauss Gala with a whole bunch of amazing people uh, done in Dresden. Uh, this is a documentary 
that go, should go with the other Strauss documentary. I should have put them next to each other in the. In you the really pile. should have. You screwed I up. Well, you screwed I, up big I time. Messed it up. Uh, and then we got a couple of Salzburg festivals. If you like uh, Salisbury steak, Salzburg festival opening concert uh, from two different years. I didn't note down which years these are. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Never mind. It doesn't matter. It's great music. Uh, Daniel Barenboim shows up uh, on one of these again, and and you know just great music. Stravinsky, Bartok, Schubert, Strauss, wonderful stuff. And the Salzburg festival. It's not like you see in the Sound of Music. It, that mm-hmm. festival doesn't actually exist. Um, and let's see. Uh, I'm trying to finish this up really quickly. Oh, Verdi. Uh, Verdi's Macbeth, directed by Dario Argento. Can you believe that? That's that's a Dario match Argento. made in somewhere. Dario Argento doing an opera. It's weird. Whatever, it kind, whatever keeps him from making movies. But it kind of works, actually. It sort of works. Macbeth is just tweaked enough that it benefits from him. And then uh, lastly, this really, really great Naxos Blu-ray, um, which is a Blu-ray audio disc, not video, Blu-ray audio, that just has a, gr- a lot of overtures from great, uh, great uh, you know, uh, uh, comedic operas. Barbara Baghdad, uh, Martha, uh, Mignon. Uh, it's really good. It's really good. This is from the Royal Scottish National Orchestra. So if you just want that really pristine Blu-ray audio sound, that just kills it. All right. Uh, Mark, do, should we do foreign? Uh, yes. Some good foreign stuff. Uh, get the foreign out. Ah. All right. Here we go. Ziga Vertov, Mark. Who? Ziga Vertov. You never studied Ziga Vertov because you were a you were a, you were a broadcast guy. They didn't no. they didn't they didn't shove that up your colon like they did with me. Um, Ziga Vertov, uh, one of the legendary silent film guys of all time. Um, his name literally means spinning top. Obviously, not his real name, but uh, he made one movie that is considered so phenomenally influential that they show it to film students the world over, and they all hate it. But they're all sort of, it's drilled into them that this is an influential film. And it is for many, many reasons. In 1929, he made a Man with a Movie Camera. The Man with the Movie Camera is just a random stream of consciousness, um, quasi-documentary, uh, experimental, avant-garde, surrealist, whatever you have. All of those things apply. This has been released before on uh, DVD, but never on Blu-ray. The Blackhawk Films Collection is now obviously working with Flickr Alley, and uh, they have put this thing out on Blu-ray. And I'm going to tell you, as much as this thing annoyed me in film school, I'm kind of compelled by it seeing it again. I still don't think it's a very compelling film from a narrative standpoint, but from a style standpoint, a technique standpoint, especially in the age of digital editing, you look at this thing and you got to kind of go, that is really kind of cool. A lot of the stuff that he was doing... 90-some-odd years ago, almost 90 years ago, is amazing. Uh, also included on this is Kino Eye, the film he made five years earlier in 1924, which is sort of where he is figuring out his whole exotic, unique approach to this stuff. And uh, a couple of films that he made afterwards in the 1930s, uh, Enthusiasm Symphony of the Donbass and Three Songs About Lenin, which is... Um, which is a historically pretty significant, actually. It was made after Lenin died, and uh, historically really an interesting uh, artifact. But really, ultimately, what he's known for is the man with the movie camera, and uh, this is it. And it is, a, it is a gorgeous, gorgeous transfer. It is a first-rate Blu-ray, and uh, we can't say enough about it. So a, uh, I would say it, for all silent film buffs, if you want a pull quote on this thing, for all silent film buffs... Um, Flickr Alley's release of The Man with the Movie Camera is an absolute must-have for your collection. What is that? Is that Man with the Camera? Give me that. Yeah. All right, so uh, I guess we'll never know. No. Okay. I do, lo- I do love that film, though, Man with the Camera. It, it, you, you, see, you did see it. Huh? I you did see it. it. Yeah. I wasn't paying attention to you. Oh, okay. It's fine. <laughs> I'm surfing the web. Okay. I'm for you to talk, stop talking about operas. What the hell, okay. are, you, what the hell are you talking about? Anyway, Wild Tales uh, is, is, uh, continues our little foreign uh, bent here. Wild Tales, this is produced by uh, Pedro and Augustine Almodovar. And you know what that means? That means it's going to be crazy. This is a big-headed can last year. But they didn't, Almodovar didn't direct it. No, no, no. He just produced it. Him yeah. and, and yeah. Uh, the brother produced it. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's uh, directed by an Argentine. And it's great. It was a big hit at Cannes Directed by a teen. An Argentine. Oh, an Argentine. An Argentinian. Is that, is that different from a regular teen? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's an Argentine. Anyway, this thing is just delightful. It is so funny. And it's, it's, it's six standal- standalone shorts. 
and they're all united by this one theme of like revenge. Everybody cool. here wants to get revenge. There's injustice and betrayal and all that sort of stuff for press pass. And this thing is just wild. It's really well directed and just it's just the thing is just this weird lunatic fringe movie that just really took you know it took can by storm. People loved it. Did well at Toronto also. I just think this thing is just absolutely crazy and fun. Wild Tales, uh, nominated for Best Foreign Language Film last year. It's really good stuff. Wild Tales, very highly recommended. Uh, not so highly recommended is So Bright is The View. This is, um, this is a Romanian film. Now, this is not really part of the Romanian uh, New Wave that sort of kind of came, sort of gone now, actually. I'm kind of over Romanian films. I, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't see any more movies about people like, like reading dictionaries and phone books. I can't, I, I can't. <laughs> You're just thinking of police adjectives. I just The can't. last scene of police adjective where he I reads I can't see thing. any more movies about people, people being shoveled around on gurneys waiting to uh, die that's, for uh, three That was hours. good. No, it wasn't. Lazarescu, that was oh, good. God help us all. Anyway, this is about a, uh, this uh, middle-class Jewish girl. She's living in Bucharest. And uh, she's pregnant, and she's, uh, you know, she's got a boyfriend, trying to work that out. And meanwhile, her mother lives in Israel. So it's all about this stuff that's going on in the Jewish community in Bucharest and, of course, in Israel. So it's the directorial debut of this one uh, Romanian guy. And, you know, it's very low budget, although it means well, and there's a lot of good character stuff. I just think that I would like to see a little more polish to the script. I'd like to see the characters a little bit, a little bit, a little bit better drawn. Uh, it, it felt like it needed, like, another pass. Uh, although you can't fault the sincerity of the writers and directors, still, I would uh, take a pass on So Bright the, is the View, unless you're a big fan of Romanian film, which you might be, because, again, they've been having a renaissance, although, as we said before, their renaissance is kind of starting to wane. But, uh, yeah, so there you go. So So Bright is the View. Next, we have uh, Tip Top. Now, Tip Top is a um, it's kind of a crazy little... This is a little bit like Wild Tales. I should, probably should have talked about this um, after I talked about Wild Tales. This is with uh, Isabelle Huppert, and it, it's about a um, this this Algerian informant. He's like an Algerian informant for the French police, and he's found dead. And the two investigators who investigate the murder, these two women, one of them played by uh, Huppert, and uh, they're just crazy. They're these two wild characters and they have their own special way of investigating a murder and it's got a lot of the script is really clever and there's a lot of cool shots in it and I just think this thing is it's got a bit of a screwball mix going on there and I really like this thing tip top that was cool well speaking of cool murders uh, or cool murder mysteries um, uh, Lil Coin Coin Lil Coin Coin is a murder mystery of sorts and uh, I gotta tell you it uh, it's shockingly fun and funny, and I don't I don't say that lightly. Uh, Little Quan Quan, which is the name of this really just mischievous pranky kid in this thing, uh, and you spell it just so that you know L I apostrophe L like little the you know like uh, little Abner, and then Quan Quan is Q U I N Q U I N. This is a film. Uh, this is on Blu-ray from Kino Lorber, a uh, new film from Bruno Dumont, the uh, an enfant terrible of French cinema these days. Bruno Dumont has made some of the most unbelievably boring and annoying films ever. The last one he did was Camille Claudel, 1915, with uh, Juliette Binoche playing Camille Claudel, the famous uh, sculptress uh, previously portrayed by Isabella Gianni in the amazing film from the, uh, from the uh, 1980s? Fa, fa, fa. I guess it was late 80s. Uh, amazing, masterful film, the original Camille Claudel. Uh, anyway, this was his his previous film from a couple of years ago. She was already in an asylum, and it's just it's so boring. It, it, you just want to shoot yourself. This is actually a weird kind of Twin Peaksy murder mystery, uh, where in this small French village they find um, a cow that has like human body parts stuffed in it, and they have to figure it out. It is shockingly funny, still weird, still all of Bruno Dumont's kind of uh, weird things that he does, but. It totally works. And I got to say this. Bruno Dumont, I actually, uh, I know you hate when I tell Colcoa stories, but I, one year I, I did the uh, panel at Colcoa where all of the filmmakers that are normally, uh, that you know, have films there, you introduce the delegation. And I introduced them, and I was doing the Q&A, and Bruno was one of them. And I kid you not, Bruno basically, right at the beginning, in French, pretty much insulted everyone else on the panel. And the translator and I looked at each other, and we had to kind of cover for it because you could tell everyone else on the panel was like, did he really just, did he do that? They wanted to just dogpile him right there. 
I've never, I've, it's one of the most awkward things I've done in my entire career as a film critic. Uh, so I had to somehow cover for Bruno Dumont insulting everybody on stage. Uh, and then lastly, Mathieu Amalric, who we just absolutely adore. Uh, f- wonderful filmmaker. Uh, oh, you're, you, you got one there. I'll let you get to that in a second. Uh, Mathieu Amalric do, uh, does an adaptation, stars in and directs an adaptation of a Georges Simenon story, which is a little bit like, uh, you know, uh, Postman Always Rings Twice slash Double Indemnity. It's one of those. Um, where an affair becomes much more dangerous. And uh, it's called The Blue Room. And uh, this thing kind of uh, fell under the radar, but it's out on, uh, from MPI on DVD and totally worth checking out. It's, it's really nicely done. And I, I love Mathieu Amalric, especially after uh, Diving Bell and the Butterfly, right? Yeah. Amazing performance. Great actor. So uh, great actor. Good director, too. Uh, the good folks at uh, Facets. And uh, Little Sister. This is a good little movie. This is from 1995. I don't know why they d- dug this up, but it's a cool little movie. It's actually, um, it's uh, it's a very, it's a basically a micro-budgeted film about incest. What's it called? Little Sister. Oh, Little Sister. Oh. oh I just I, lo- I love movies about incest. Don't I you, do. though? I do. And here's the thing, though. Now, we got to understand, in 1995, this was a big deal. Uh, now, today would be, it's pretty bad today. It's one of those movies that is all seen through, through a video camera. Because oh. the brother is videotaping the object oh. of his desire, which happens to be his sister. So not quite found footage, but... Yes. Got it. So it starts out kind of playful, then becomes a little bit menacing. And, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, it's a pretty interesting movie. It's, very, it's in a pretty edgy scenario, and, uh, but yet it's kind of funny, kind of charming. A, it's Dutch, a, weird... a Dutch film. It is a Dutch film. You're about to I'm just, I'm just no. I'm just looking at it. I'm just like to, it's, okay. it's from Netherlands. I thought you were about to say something. No, no, no. Quote unquote. No, no. Funny. Because because I'm I'm rooting for you know my Dutch women. They're they're. All right. Goodbye.